I grew, <clears throat> grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, and was a member of the, the Broadway Christian Church, which is downtown there, and he returned to his home church and was the youth minister there, and the church is in the downtown area. Sometimes homeless people would, would stop in and out, vagrants that, that were nearby, and one particular Sunday evening, Mike was supposed to preach, and as the youth minister, he didn't do that very often, but after their song service, the songs were done, they had had communion, and they were waiting for Mike to get up, step to the pulpit, and he was nowhere to be found. And uh, they thought, well, did he go back to his office? Is he playing basketball with some of the kids? Did he forget? What, you know, what happened? And uh, a homeless lady stood up in back, dressed in tattered clothing, and she made her way down to the front looking at all the people in the congregation as she walked by. She stepped up onto the platform and she stood behind the, the pulpit, then began to take off her outfit. And it was Mike in uh, cognito dressed as uh, a bag lady, as a homeless person. And then he said, you know, I I'm really ashamed of my home church. And when I came in, you all avoided me. Y you didn't talk to me. You didn't meet me. He said, my own mother walked away from, from me and shunned me. And uh, he just kind of called them all out. And then he said, I want you to open your Bibles to, to James chapter 2. And we're going to study what the, the word says about favoritism. And, and that's what we're going to do this morning. And my question for you is, how would you have responded to that person who entered the service? First thing we see in, in James chapter 2 is, is favoritism followed. Verses 1 through 4 read, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a, a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Favoritism is based on the external impression. By, by definition, to receive by faith. Favoritism is, is giving special attention or consideration to a person because of his wealth, appearance, popularity, or influence. It, it involves catering to the important in order to get something in return with the hope of gaining prestige, recognition, or, or profiting. It, it involves drawing conclusions about people based on that outward appearance, the clothing, the, the income, their, their race. And verse 4 says that's, that's wrong. It stems from wrong motives. It's, it's selfish. It's judgmental. And those ulterior motives to, to gain are really what's, what's causing that. Verse 4 says again, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? One day a uh, a tramp was looking for a handout. He approached a, a picturesque old English village. 
hungry to the point of fainting, he stopped by the, the pub there called the Inn of St. George and the Dragon. He said, please, ma'am, could you spare me a bite to eat? And the woman who answered his knock on the door said, a bite to eat for a sorry, no good, foul-smelling beggar? No, she snapped, almost slamming the door on his hand. Halfway down the lane, the tramp stopped, turned around, eyed the words on the sign, in of St. George and the dragon. He, he went back up. He knocked again on the kitchen door. Now, what do you want? The woman growled angrily. Well, ma'am, if St. George is in this time, I might like to speak with him. But God is more concerned with the internal than the external. First Samuel 16, 7 says, God looks at the heart. And so we don't worry so much about the external trappings or appearance, knowing God's not concerned about that. We, we want to treat all people the same, with love, with kindness, and with respect. I have a, a minister friend in Hillsboro who uh, he and his family were on vacation one year, and they went to uh, a well-known church that had a, a nationally televised uh, service. And when they came into the service, the, the usher squired Jim's family up to a very prominent, visible location near the front on the edge of an aisle. And the usher made the comment, you all are really good looking. You will photograph well. We'll put you right here. Evidently, that usher never read James chapter 2. And so as we read on in the chapter, it talks about favoritism fostered. Verse 5 says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? You know, it's, it's dangerous to practice favoritism because we become judges making premature determinations about people and their value. Jesus never allowed himself to be unduly influenced by prestige or social status of, of those around him. He, he never pandered to the wealthy or the politically powerful. And, and neither did he avoid or exclude those who were wealthy or powerful. He, he was equally at home with the powerful or the poor. And, and so should we be. There can be, I think, a human tendency for us to be a little bit starstruck when we recognize a, a famous, visible celebrity. What if someone really well-known in sports or politics or, or music were to come into our service today? What might happen? I remember when, when, when I was at, at Dublin and, and Brady Quinn came into the, the service, and Brady Quinn is a ESPN newscaster who had grown up in in Dublin, and his younger sister was dating uh, a member of our church, and there was just kind of a little Brady Quinn's up there. It's Brady Quinn. Yeah. And, and I remember when it happened at, at Bright when I was was ministering there, the Sunday when Cherie Palello 
came to, to, to Bright. And her brother was a member there. And same thing. Hey, that's your Reaper Lala over there. Hey, Channel, Channel 5 over there. And just kind of this, this buzz. And I, I noticed when I, I met Cherie, she was, was very nice, that she is very petite. I mean, she may be five foot tall. And you know how they say the, the camera adds 10 pounds to you? I think the camera adds about two inches to, to your height because she looked a lot smaller in person than I had envisioned her being from television. Uh, this tendency to be starstruck, I have to admit, even affected me when I, when I was younger. I was in, in, in grade school, and some of you have lived in the greater Cincinnati area long enough to remember one of the, the highest profile celebrities in the tri-state, the cool ghoul. Any of you remember the cool ghoul? Okay, well, he had a show on Channel 19 on Friday nights, and uh, we would dress up, and then they'd, they'd have horror movies, scary movies, and and so the, the cool ghoul was getting married to my next-door neighbor, Connie, and my dad was performing the wedding for them. So I have to admit that next Monday at school, you know, hey, how was your weekend? Fine, how was yours? Well, you know, my, my dad performed the, the wedding for the cool ghoul this, this weekend, and wow, you know the cool ghoul? Well, my dad does, yeah, I, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty close. A lot of family vacations together and things. So we want to guard against that tendency to turn people into celebrities. Dick Alexander years ago had, had married a couple of, again, local high-profile celebrities. He wrote in his church paper, One reason that wealthy and well-known people pull into a shell is that few people value them for who they are. Everybody wants something. Ministry to well-known people means loving and accepting them as human beings and asking nothing special from them except that they serve Jesus Christ with their whole heart. And then he concludes, in the body of Christ, there is one Lord and the rest of us are brothers and sisters. There are no celebrities. End quote. You know, the early church contained many Christians who were poor. There really was no middle class. Uh, one was either rich or, or one was poor, pretty, pretty extreme. And verses 6 and 7 warn against showing favoritism, that that insults the poor. Any demonstration of disrespect for a, a brother that is based on the feeling of his inferior status or his class is, is discrimination. And... It's an insult to God who made them. And we should remember there's, there's nothing particularly pious about being poor. There are godly poor and there are ungodly poor, just as there's nothing particularly wrong with being rich. There are, are, are godly rich and, and there are ungodly rich. By study, mo most people define rich as being someone who earns two times what the individual's angel salary is. So most of us tend to think of, yeah, the rich guys as someone who makes two times as much as we make. And so probably few of us here would classify self as being rich, 
but I want to challenge your thinking. The, the truth is, if you are an American, you are rich. Compared to the rest of the world, uh, even an American on welfare is in the top 6% of the world population's income. And, and so it's easy for us to view others as being more well-off than we are without looking at the many people that we're well-off ahead of them. And so I want to challenge you this morning that if you got up in a a warm, heated house, you're rich. If you got into a car and, and, and drove here to church this morning, we're rich. If, if you went to a, a closet and had options on, on clothing, and today I said, what shirt should I wear? Oh, I think I know what shirt I'll wear today. And you have options like, like that. We're rich. And so let's listen to these verses, realizing that we all are rich. The final part of the chapter Verses 8 to 13, the final part of our text, really f- forbids favoritism. Favoritism is forbidden. V- verse 8 says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the law, the, the whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. In other words, what goes around comes around. If you're harsh with people, don't be surprised when people become harsh and exacting with you. It says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so James is is cautioning the the original readers of, of this circular letter not to pander to those who are making their lives miserable and try to get their attention and approval and and not to mistreat those who have been disadvantaged and uh, maybe having a harder way of of going through life. I I think in in this discussion about favoritism that it's important to note that um, realistically, People of the same age, the same interests, the same backgrounds naturally gravitate to each other. Like attracts like. There's similarities. You may have more in common, and that's okay to be closer to some than to others. It's not bad unless such relationships become to a place where there's unkind discrimination or rude exclusion of others that's occurring. At that time, preference has crossed the line, and it's replaced by favoritism to the point of discrimination. You know, the New Testament is clear that Jesus 
was closer to some of the disciples than he was to the other. He, he, he had the 12 apostles, but there was this inner circle, Peter, James, and John, who were selected to do some things with him that the, the group at large didn't do. When Jesus restored Jairus' daughter, who was with him? Peter, James, and John. When Jesus appeared on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, who, who did he bring along? Peter, James, and John. When Jesus was praying in, in Gethsemane, who, who was in closest proximity to him? Peter, James, and John. And then out of that trio, John was his closest associate, the, the beloved disciple. He, he sat beside Jesus at the Last Supper. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he entrusted Mary into the hands and care of, of John. I think Part of the reasoning for that is, as you study the New Testament, it, it seems apparent that James and John's mother may have been the sister of, of Mary, Jesus' mother, which would account for why he knew them better, was more familiar with them, had grown up with them. They, they were family. And it also would explain why when Jesus was dying and his own brothers had rejected his lordship before the resurrection, that he went for a, a close relative, a cousin who did understand that, that he was God's son and had Mary go into the care of his beloved apostle John. Although Jesus was especially close to these three, he, he never fostered a favoritism to the point of discriminating against others. And that was true throughout his entire ministry. You can't find an incident of, of favoritism. Jesus lovingly, gently treated the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus was just as gracious to the poor widow with two mites as he was to the, the rich young ruler with a, a thick wad of bills. He was just as, as kind to Nicodemus, the misguided religious leader who came to speak with him privately by night, all of them were, were treated with the same love, the same kindness, the same respect. And so personal preference must not develop into favoritism. How do you treat others who are dissimilar from you? You know, the early restoration movement had a slogan, in essentials, unity, in opinions, liberty, in all things, love. Ben Merrill is uh, in his 90s and has been a, a war horse minister for, for his entire life, just one of those giants of the faith. And I remember something he wrote years ago that always stuck with me. He said, and talking in the context about worship services, he said, unless there has been something in the worship service that I didn't particularly enjoy then it hasn't been a good worship service because it has reflected too closely my preference. He said, it, it's good if there's part of the service that's really not my cup of tea because that's going to scratch an itch for someone else. That's going to meet a need that another person has that might go unmet otherwise. And so while it's healthy for us to have differing ideas, opinions, and preferences, that's fine as long as we allow other people to have their preferences too. 
So we, we can't expect or demand our own way always. And usually we all identify with what we've been used to or what's familiar to us. There was a book written a few years ago called The Seven Last Words of the Church. And the subtitle was, We Never Did It That Way Before. And, and so we need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and, and be flexible. I, I like the modern day beatitude, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. When individuals become intolerant of the preference of others, then tolerance has crossed the line and become favoritism to the point of discrimination. And the result is division as each tries to provoke, promote personal preference. Do you think that can ever become a problem in the church? Well, it, it did in the first century in, in Corinth. We read about it in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 3. Paul writes, You were still worldly, for since there's this jealousy and quarreling among you, are, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? They were getting cliquish and kind of breaking off into little subgroups. Oh, uh, I, was a, uh, I was baptized by the Apostle Paul. Who baptized you? Oh, I'm sorry. Or, or I think Apollos is a much better speaker than Paul. Man, that guy is eloquent. I could listen to him all day long. And so they began to, to fracture and, and, and fissure over their style preferences and, and tastes. And, and so Paul, who's a part of this discussion, you know, part of the people are going, Paul, Paul, Paul. You know, he goes, hey, guys, verse 5, wait a minute. Who, who is Apollos? Who, who am I? Who is Paul? We're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord is assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters it is anything, but only God who makes it grow. And so in that context, he, he explained how we're to handle preference. It's okay to have a style that resonates with you, but it's not okay for that to cause dissension or, or division. It's natural to have a preference, but when it becomes divisive, favoritism, it's discrimination and it hurts the unity of the church today just as it did the church in the first century. We are called to practice the royal law, and the royal law for the believer is love. The summation of the law is love. Listen to Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You want to get it done? Be a lover of all people. No favoritism. See everyone through the eyes of Jesus see the potential, the redeeming good, and see the best in people. He goes on, the, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever 
other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You you know, the rich young ruler who rejected Jesus was given the same type of invitation and, and treatment as the poor fisherman who accepted and followed Jesus. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. And Jesus doesn't care how much money you made last year, and neither do we at Batesville Christian Church. I want to close with a a poem entitled The Shoes of Happiness, and it's written by Edwin Markham. And it's a poem about an old cobbler named Conrad who dreamed one night that that Jesus, the master, would come to be his guest at his shoe shop. And when he woke the next morning after his dream, he arose and he decorated his little shop with bright flowers and, and he waited for the master to arrive. He determined when the master would come, he would kiss the feet where the spikes had been. He would kiss the, the hands where the nails had punctured, but the master did not come. A beggar came, and Conrad gave him a pair of shoes. An old woman came, bent down from the weight of a heavy burden. He lifted the load off her back and refreshed her with food. And then finally, the day was just about to fade into darkness, and a little child came into the shop. Her, her eyes were wet with tears, and in pity, Conrad stopped what he was doing and led her back to find her mother. But the divine guest never came. And this is how the poem ends. Then soft in the silence, a voice he heard, Lift up your heart, for I kept my word. Three times I came to your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the beggar with bruised feet. I was the woman you gave food to eat. I was the child in this homeless street. Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these brothers of mine, you have done it unto me. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we pray that we would guard ourselves against this human tendency to judge others, to measure others, to seek favor from others. Help us to to look at at each person and see a a child of yours, the the potential, uh, the possibilities. Lord, I, I pray that we would treat each person that we encounter today with your love, with your kindness, with your respect. We ask in in the name of Jesus, amen.